0: That is a schoolboy error. You know, there's no way that God expected Gentiles to become Jews. Don't you think that? You know, we look at that and think, well, that's an elementary mistake to make. But what I would ask you to do is to be a bit more generous and really try and put yourself in their shoes. Now, think about who they are. They're Jewish Christians. Jewish They're looking at the gospel through very Jewish eyes. They don't have the New Testament, do they? You know, they were waiting for a Jewish Messiah. One that was promised in the Jewish scriptures. So although we know, come on, totally wrong to expect the Gentiles become Jews, you can almost kind of see why the Jewish Christians expected that to happen, can't you? Do you know what's really interesting? is how Paul and Barnabas deal with that controversy in Syrian Antioch. How do you think we would deal with it? Like I think there might be the temptation to think, wow, we've got new people in the church. (laughs) Let's not rock the boat here. You know, you can almost maybe think, Barnabas might say to Paul, Paul, don't you be making waves here with these people, man. Don't be doing that. I mean, it's just a matter of circumcision. It's not that big a deal. Let's just let it pass. Is that what they do? Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. What happens is that Paul and Barnabas enter into a serious debate with these Jews. They try and convince the Jews of their error. And do you know what? That is the same thing that we see later on in the account. You know, the account moves on to Jerusalem, doesn't it? And the apostles and the elders. Do they brush it under the carpet? No. We are told again, the apostles and the elders, they, they engage with this issue this controversy they take it very seriously I wonder do you see the lesson for us see too often throughout the centuries the church of Jesus Christ has not tackled theological controversy you know too often we we are as Scottish people would say we're fearedies as Christians you know, we're scared of these things We like to let problems, theological problems in church, just fester. And what happens if you do that? The problem grows, doesn't it? The theological problem escalates. What are we learning here? The New Testament church, it took this seriously because it affected the very nature of salvation. And let me say this to you. We have to follow this and follow it Properly. So, if in the future an issue affects the purity of the gospel in this congregation, we cannot ignore that. We must, as the people of God, take a stand and we deal with that issue and we deal with it head on. Paul and Barnabas, don't brush it under the carpet, they took this seriously. Okay, secondly in controversy we should seek the counsel of those over us in the Lord. Um, Churches love committees. Don't they? The free church loves committees. Um, I think until recently we had a home missions board committee. We had an international committee. We had what else? The communications committee. Some churches they go, you know, they go right out there. They they've got sort of flower arranging committees and that sort of thing, as well. Now, sometimes committees are a good thing in the life of the church, and that's what we see in Syria and Antioch. Because look what happens here. What we see are Paul and Barnabas. They've got this big issue, so Paul and Barnabas, along with some other believers. They're kind of set aside as a committee to explore this issue of Gentile salvation. Now that's fine, but what I want you to see is what exactly that committee, what its remit was. Look at what the committee were tasked with doing in verse 2. What's the committee to do? Look at it in verse 2, please. They're to go up to Jerusalem. Fine. What are they to do in Jerusalem. They are to see the apostles and elders about the question. Now, we get it, but do you you see the principle that's there? A principle that helps us, I think. What's the church doing? The church is looking there, when there's a problem, to mature believers. And it's looking to its elders, it's looking to those who are over them in the Lord... Now, I think we as a congregation can do that. If there is a sort of theological controversy that, that affects our church, what can we do? We're a Presbyterian church. So we can look to our Kirk Session. We can look to Presbytery. We can look to the General Assembly to help us with that. But what I want you to see is that principle there of looking to mature believers for help, that's one that can affect you and me on a day-to-day basis, isn't it? Last week I got an email from someone in the congregation I'm glad I did the person emailed me because they had seen a news story that really sort of troubled and you know you could tell the person was wrestling with this and they were struggling to sort of reconcile that news story with their faith and they just wanted their minister's opinion on the news story. And it struck me, we do not do that a lot or enough. And I don't mean with me necessarily. But what happens if there's a problem of faith in your life? What happens if there's a problem of Christian practice? What do you do? At best, we speak to our Christian friends about that, do we? Maybe, if we're, if we're taking it seriously, maybe we'll go about it but very very rarely do we seek the counsel of those over us in the lord and friends that couldn't be easier to do in the modern world could it we can do that like that person did and send an email we can speak to people here mature christians after the service we can speak to people at prayer meetings at house groups i want you to hear this We shouldn't be afraid to do what the people in Acts chapter 15 did. Think about it. This is Paul and Barnabas. This is the church. And they weren't afraid to look to the apostles and elders for help. Take it seriously. They look to those over them in the Lord. Third one. In controversy, we should continue to focus on The gospel. In controversy, get this one? In controversy, we should continue to focus on the gospel. Okay, so so you're with me so far. And we're seeing Paul and Barnabas, there's this big question about Gentile salvation. Paul and Barnabas have gone to Jerusalem. Now, if you're anything like me, there's something you might have missed. We need to know what Paul and Barnabas do, or what they did, On their way to Jerusalem. Eh? We we could easily skim over this. Look at verse 3. So, as they traveled, they told how the Gentiles had been converted. Do you see that? This isn't all about them getting to Jerusalem as quickly as possible. Do you see what they do on their way? They're traveling. As they go, they talk about Jesus Christ. As they go, they're telling people, whoever will listen, they are telling them about the wonders of what Jesus Christ has been doing. And then, notice what they do when they do arrive in Jerusalem. Now, again, put yourself in their shoes. Imagine it's us. We've got a sort of weighty controversy. We're part of this committee and we've got all this sort of responsibility for this. Imagine what it would be like. We've traveled all the way to Jerusalem. Eventually, we get to Jerusalem. We get into that room, and thankfully it's the elders and the apostles are there. We're just, you can imagine what it's going to be like. We're just going to unburden ourselves. Look, let's get this sorted out so I can get home. Right? Isn't that what we do? That's not what they do here. Look at verse 4. When they came to Jerusalem, they're welcomed Yeah they reported everything God had been doing through them. Do you see that? I think that is absolutely wonderful. They don't start with this theological controversy. They start with Jesus. That's what they talk about. That's what they have. Do you see it? Paul and Barnabas here, they do allow a controversy to blind them to the gospel, to blind them to Jesus Christ. And I've said, okay, we're going through, what is it, six points, maybe, time permitting. I hope you see how crucial that one is. Do you? Think about your involvement in churches over the last ten years. Think about times when controversy and problems have hit those churches. What is the first thing to go? It's that congregation's witness to Jesus Christ. Isn't it? controversy hits and we are too busy bickering with each other and we are too busy fighting against each other and we take our eyes off our savior and i sincerely want the young people in the congregation to think about that because there's quite a few young people in the congregation who are maybe you know 20s and 30s making a life for yourselves in london And because of that, you're making new Christian friends, aren't you? And praise God, some of you have got sort of Christian flatmates. That's wonderful. But because of all these new Christian friends you're making, inevitably, you're going to be making friends from other denominations, people with other ideas, different ideas, and you are going to be discussing and disagreeing about matters of faith and matters of Christian practice, in that situation, I would urge you to think about Paul and Barnabas and regardless of the issue, don't take your eyes off Jesus. After the discussion, after the disagreement, by yourself, with your friends, even better, go back and delight in what we are learning in the Jerusalem Council that you, a sinner, have been saved by grace. Do you see it? It's a lesson for all of us as a congregation here. If there is a controversy, we don't take our eyes of Jesus. Fourthly, in controversy, we should bear in mind how God has previously acted. I'll say that again. In controversy, we should bear in mind and think about how God has previously acted. Can you picture what it um, would have been like at the Jerusalem Council? Can you, can you get your head around it? And I, I sort of think of, about it with lots and lots of guys in serious discussion, yeah? And then the noise of that debate about Gentile and it dies down there's a bit of silence and then he's always the first person to get up Peter gets up and he addresses the Jerusalem council now Peter says two things basically here and they are absolutely brilliant okay first thing Peter says here he addresses the council you can imagine it And he says, guys, there's a bit of an elephant in the room here. How can we tell the Gentiles that they need to observe the law in order to be saved when uh, neither we nor our forefathers have been able to do that? And you think, that's a cracking point, you know. Peter's nailed it. And then the second thing that Peter does here, Peter appeals to his previous experience with Cornelius. Now, now, as a congregation, we looked at that maybe a couple of months ago, Peter and Cornelius. But do you remember? You basically, Peter stands up and he, and he says to, to, to the, the Jerusalem council there, look, see when I was with the Gentiles, God sent his Holy Spirit and sent the Holy Spirit in such an obvious way, such an An incredible and dramatic way. Now why did God do that? So that we as a church would realise that Gentiles were truly saved outside and apart from the law. Now again you sort of think, Peter, that's a, that's a, you nailed it. That, that's a great point. But what I want you to think about is, do you see what Peter has done there? Peter is appealing to the past. This whole church, the Jerusalem Council, they are learning lessons from how God has previously worked. And I I want you to see that we can do that as well. Now, When I was in seminary, I'm going to get shot for saying this, but when I was in, in seminary in the Free Church College, to a man, every student, we used to, in my year, in a way, we, we used to loathe church history. <laughs> and I know we've got church historians here as well. Um, but we used to loathe it. You know, we used to, I think it was maybe because of the time of day that it was on, you know. But we always used to be muttering to ourselves and saying, "Oh, why are we having to learn this stuff? You know, this was hundreds of years ago. What is the, I don't need this. You see, now, I get it. And I see the point. Because personally, or congregationally, or denominationally, if we have a theological controversy, or a real problem, what can we do? We can look back. We can look back through the ages. We can see how God has worked in grace, in the church previously, and we can learn from that. That might seem sort of airy-fairy, but I say to you, You can do that personally too. If just now you are wrestling with Christian practice, how you are to live out your faith, you can do the same thing. Do not be afraid to look back. Look back over your own life. Look back at the lessons that God has taught you before. Look back at how God has worked in power in your life before and maybe even look back down the centuries and see God's hand... And how he has worked in Christians' lives over the years. That's what Peter does. That's what the New Testament church did here. Fifthly, ready for it? In controversy, we should allow Scripture to guide our decision-making. I don't know if you know anything about the Free Church of Scotland General Assembly Perhaps if you've been part of the church here for a while, you will know how the, the assembly goes. If you don't know, if you've never even heard of the General Assembly, do you know what? You've really got to picture the Houses of Parliament on a sort of Prime Minister's Question Time. Because that's kind of what the General Assembly is like. We've got uh, all the men, uh, you know, in their suits and in ties and a sort of formal building. Uh, and and, and but this is true. I don't know if you'll believe this or not, but if we agree with something that is said in the assembly, uh, we are supposed to sort of tap our feet in the floors. Yes, yes. Uh, I, I agree with that. It's true. It's not a word of a lie. And just like the Houses of Parliament, um, at the General Assembly there is one guy who sits there in a big chair with big dapper robes on. And he is the Free Church of Scotland moderator. Now that guy has no special powers of decision making or a Presbyterian church. But that guy conducts and often sums up proceedings. Do you see where I'm going? That's the role that James, the brother of Jesus, plays in the Jerusalem council. Have a look at it. See, all these men have discussed this issue. Peter has got up and he has spoken and he has defended salvation by grace. But then it's James, and it's up to James, to give the decision of the council. So you can imagine how serious this is. Basically... Our salvation, the salvation of the Gentile world, comes down to, you know, what's going to happen? What is James going to say? And what I want you to see is what James does to make this incredible decision. What does he do? He appeals to Scripture. He reads Amos chapter 9, this monumental moment for the church. And he basically says, people, we should have been expecting the Gentiles to be saved by grace. Because guess what? God has told us that he would do that in his words. And there's so many of these different points here this morning. But you have to take that away, do you not? Please see that if you have uncertainty in your life just now about your faith, if you've got uncertainty about your actual practice, living out a Christian, you have to do what James does. You have to go to God's Word. And I know what some of you think about that. I know because you've said to me, ah, oh, my life is too complicated, man. You know, these issues that I'm dealing with, they're way too complex. This idea turned to the Bible. It, it doesn't cut it. Too simplistic. Too simplistic. Friends, I say to you this morning, that is not too simplistic. And it is not too shallow. That is how God wants us to roll as His people. He wants us, if we have uncertainty, if we have worries, He wants us to turn to His Word to see what He has to say about these things. He wants us to let Scripture in all of these things, let Scripture be our guide. And then lastly, sixth, in controversy, we should make concessions, but never on the gospel. We should be willing to make concessions in controversy, but never in the gospel. Now, I'm guessing If you're following this uh, portion of Scripture, I'm guessing that you can sense the tension that would have been there when James is making that final statement, can't you? When you think about what was on the line there, you can imagine that everyone's up on the edge of their seat. How is this decision going to be verbalized and formulated? And when we think about how big the decision was, is it not surprising what James says in verses 19 and 20. Just turn to it, verses 19 and 20. Isn't it it strange? I mean, he he absolutely, you know, no shadow of a doubt, he affirms that even for Gentiles, they are saved through grace. He affirms that, no question. But, but, look what he also does. He asked the Gentiles to observe a few rules. Look at verse 20. Isn't that weird? He says that he asked the Gentiles that they abstain from certain foods, that they abstain from, from immorality. Now, I wonder, do, do you see what James is doing there? Because let me tell you, it's absolute genius what he's doing. What's he doing? He is trying to avoid a split in the church. He knows the underpinning all of this, is a Jewish-Christian concern that Gentile believers aren't going to live properly. You know, they're scared that Gentile believers are, are sort of going to go off and live immorally and bring the name of Jesus Christ into disrepute. He knows that, so what does he do? Well, he's not shying away from salvation by grace. I mean, that's there, that's out there. But at the same time, he says to the Gentiles, guys, to pacify these Jews, live properly, behave Morally, behave impeccably. And that's clever, very clever. Do you see the principle for us? I wonder, do you see it? Do you see it clearly? We are saying here that regardless of the controversy that affects us and affects our church, we must never move from salvation by grace. That is, That has to be fenced in. We don't touch that. That has to be what we preach. But you see that we should also, in other things, be willing to make concessions? You know, we, we, we don't move from salvation by grace. We don't move ever from it. But at the same time, everything else, provided it is biblical, we should be willing to move on those things to preserve the unity and the harmony of the people of God. And we will end like this. We've talked a lot this morning about how we as Christians should deal very generally with controversy. I hope, I hope that you see, you all see the importance of that specific decision that was made that day in Jerusalem. Do you see it? I mean, the church is standing together. And they are declaring for the whole world that salvation cannot be achieved by us being good. It cannot be merited by us living morally. They stand, they declare united as a church that salvation, a scripture has always said, Forgiveness for sin is only available in the free grace of God in Christ. I ask you this morning if you believe that. Do you believe what the guys at Jerusalem are declaring? Do you believe in salvation by grace alone? Do you believe that? More than that. Do you believe in Jesus? Friends, if you do, I think we can leave today rejoicing at what these guys said in Jerusalem, can we? We can not leave this place with Peter's words of verse 11 on our lips, in our hearts. What does he say? Praise God for these words. He says, we believe it is through, not us, not ourselves, not our actions, not our charity. It is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved. Let that forevermore be the center point of this congregation, regardless, regardless regardless of the controversy. Let's pray.